You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity now to open your word, to hear from you. And Lord, I just ask that of all the voices that we hear, yours would be the loudest and that yours would be the one that shapes and directs the way we live this life. And Lord, I just ask that as we consider the fact that you are our father, that it would just just really impact us in a way this week, that every day we wake up and we just remember you're our father. It's so incredible. God, I ask now that you would fill me with your spirit. One of the terrifying things about preaching is that I am powerless. I can try to be humorous and use good illustrations and even be passionate, but in the end, it's, it's all in vain unless your spirit comes. And so I just ask that you would fill us, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word. I ask that if there's anyone here who's never trusted you for salvation, that they would today. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. When Shana and I were dating, um, I happened to have already been out of college and she was um, going through beauty school. And so those of you, if you've ever gone through beauty school, I don't know if who has here or who hasn't, but it's a little different from college in that it, you don't go from class to class. You're kind of at work all day, basically. And she's going to beauty school every day. And then after beauty school, um, she would go home, change really quick, and then go to Subway and work at Subway. And she was basically doing two full-time jobs just to try to scrape her way through college. And those of you who've been through college, and if your parents weren't able to help you, you understand this. And and I went through that, and so I really understood kind of her pain. Um, But I say all that to say she was pretty broke uh, when we were dating, okay? Like, didn't have anything at all. In fact, one week she was really struggling. And so I stole her debit card out of her purse And I spent all, no, I'm just kidding. I stole her debit card and I went to the bank and I just put a little bit of money in her account just to help her through the week because it it was pretty bad. But um, I say all that to say that at the time I I was done with college and I was working and it was ministry, so I wasn't making a lot, but I still, I had money in my bank account. I had some cash flow, right? Total different situation. But what's interesting is when she married me, when, when we said I do in front of the pastor and the church and God and all of that, suddenly she had a bank account. Right. And suddenly she had cash flow and suddenly all the things that I had, a car and a house and money and and all these different things now belong to Shannon. And and I bring that up because it's a powerful illustration. And the scriptures point to the the illustration of marriage to remind us of what is called our union with Christ. When, When you were born in this world, you were born a sinner, separated from God, completely broke. Right? No money at all, nothing to offer God at all. And yet when you heard that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again triumphantly, and you placed your faith in him, the Bible says you were united to him by faith, similar to a marriage. And that all the riches of Christ and all the blessings of Christ and everything he owned suddenly belong to you. You know, union with Christ is probably the most important doctrine in Scripture that you've never heard of. (laughs) Um, If you've been coming here, you've heard of it, uh, because I try to bring it up often. Um, But it's one of those things that when you read through the New Testament, we're often called those who are in Christ. It's just who we are. We're not called Christians a lot. 
We're called in Christ because over and over and over, we're reminded of the fact that we're united to Jesus. We're, we're in him. It's a mysterious union. And so what is union with Christ? Well, um, one theologian, Burkhoff, defines it this way, that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. Um, we're given marriage as an illustration of scripture. We're also given the vine and the branches. So you are just a branch connected to the vine of Christ. And if a branch gets broken off and thrown away, it's powerless, right? Um, we, we get everything, all of our vitality, everything from Christ, the vine. And thankfully, we can never be broken off. Um, we have eternal security as believers. Um, another uh, a theologian says this, Christian experience, this, you've got to get this, is more than imitation of the life and teaching of Jesus. It's more than that. It's not just hearing what Jesus said and doing it. It is the present experience of the risen Christ indwelling the believer's heart by the Spirit. So you are united to Christ. So when Shannon and I got married and suddenly she had a bank account, not much, but there was money in there, okay? And suddenly she had a house and suddenly she had a car and suddenly she had all the things that I had now belong to her. When you were united to Jesus by faith in a much greater way, everything that belonged to Jesus now belongs to you. He took your sin, he paid for it completely, and he gave you his righteousness. You became an heir of God, a child of God. You received the spirit of God, and you're able to live now with the presence of the indwelling Christ living within you. And that's the topic Paul's going to pick up here at the end of chapter 3. Um, and so to kind of give you a little bit of background before we jump into that, um, to remind you where we've been, the Judaizers uh, were these false teachers that had kind of slipped in the churches of Galatia right after Paul had left, and they started teaching a false gospel. They started trying to steer them away from the truth of the gospel, and they were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. So Paul gets word of this, and he writes this letter, and it's a very passionate letter. It's probably Paul's most passionate letter. And we see really the heart of it in chapter 2, verse 16, when he says this, We have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So that's his whole theme of the letter, that we are justified, which means we're declared righteous. We have right standing with God, not by our works, not by anything that we do, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We've got to understand that. If you're here today and you think that coming to church and putting money in the offering plate and loving your neighbor and, and trying, to, trying to be a good person, and if you think that that is earning right standing with you before God, you're, you're, you're in a total situation of despair because your works could never earn right favor with God. The Bible calls them filthy rags before God. And so what do we need? We need a savior. And his name is Jesus. And so you can see why Paul is so passionate about this. He's like, don't go back to the Old Testament law. Well, why would you try to earn favor with God when Jesus paid it all? Trust in him alone. That's, that's his theme in the letter. Okay, And so as we, we saw last week in chapter 3, he, he really hammered that point. He gave us three reasons like boom, boom, boom. Why in, why in the world would you ever go to the law? It's by faith. It's always been by faith and it can only be by faith. All right, But that brings up a question. And it kind of came up earlier when we were looking at the Ten Commandments. If it's true that this life is by faith, if it's true that it's always been by faith, because last week Paul said it was with Abraham. Remember, we went back all the way to the covenant with Abraham, um, talking about the animals getting cut in half and stuff. Lots of fun, right? Um, and and if, if, if it was always by faith, and you can jump to even Genesis 3 and see that they sin, and what does God do? He covers them. 
through the blood of a sacrifice. So it's always been by faith, okay? And, and he promises a Messiah in Genesis 3. Then why was the law ever given, right? What's, what's the purpose of the law? And that's the question Paul asks next in the end of chapter 3. He says, well, then what's the point of the law? And, and I don't want to focus a lot on this because when we get to Galatians 5 and we talk about living by the Spirit, that's when I'm really going to kind of help you a little more to understand this. But he gives two reasons here that I want you to get. Um, first of all, he says the law was added because of transgression. And so there's a lot of different interpretations on what that means. But basically, in a nutshell, I believe what he's talking about is that it, it showed us our sin. It revealed our sin. So before, we were already sinners. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, when I was uh, in high school, um, before my mom and dad like, nailed down a curfew, um, I had a general idea that I should be home at a certain time. But, you know, uh, just kind of whenever, uh, whenever I was done hanging out, right? And, and, and it, was a, it was a sin, but it wasn't a transgression yet because I hadn't stepped over an actual law that was laid down. But when my parents said, Michael, be home by 11. Yeah, 11, right? Lame, man. When they, when they said, be home by 11, and I was home by 11.05 or 11.30, now I'm not just a sinner, I'm a transgressor. I literally stepped over a line that was laid down. And so when God gave the law, he gave it to show you his moral beauty and character and righteous standards. And, and then it showed us that we were transgressors. And then he goes to the next reason the law was given. And he says that it was also given to be a schoolmaster. What in the world is a schoolmaster? Okay, I got a definition for you. A moral caretaker. A person appointed to watch over a young child, train his public behavior, and keep him safe in public, perhaps with the fuller understanding of a tutor. Some translations translate it guardian. Okay, so ours says schoolmaster, but it's a similar thing. Um, It was this moral caretaker. Oftentimes it was a servant of the family that would watch over the child and and discipline it when, when they needed it, but also point them to the right teachings. And so the law acted as a guardian for Israel. They were in this land of just pagan idolatry, um, wickedness, awful, just sins everywhere around us, everywhere around them. And so God put specific laws to keep them separate, to keep them protected, to act as a guardian, as a schoolmaster, to keep them on the right track until the offspring, Christ, would come, fulfill the law, and then we would be saved by faith. And so those are two reasons why the law was given. So in summary, it was, it was given to show us our sin and to point to our Savior. Um, we'll talk about that a little more in chapter 5. But then in verses 23 through 29, the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, um, he's going to explain that Christ has come. So this is what he said. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, that's what we just talked about, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Total shift has taken place. We don't need this this moral caretaker anymore because we're, we're children of God. Okay, verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Let's talk about our union with Jesus that we talked about earlier. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And he kind of summarizes his whole argument in chapter three here. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the promise given to Abraham that he talked about in chapter 3, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Christ the Savior, then you become a child of Abraham, an heir according to the promise. We receive the blessings that were promised to Abraham. 
as, as dirty, filthy Gentile sinners. That's what we get. Amazing grace. All right. But, but here you can see Paul's talking about our union with Christ. And what he's saying is all who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ have been baptized into him. I love that language. That's why baptism is such a special thing for us. After you trust Jesus Christ, you're, you're baptized. And that shows that you've been buried with him in death. And you've been raised to walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful picture um, as we watch and we see the gospel on display through the waters of baptism. But this refers to our union with Christ. And it completely shatters all man-made divisions. Okay? There's no divisions in this church because we are all one in Christ. If we ever get word of, of little cliques in this church or divisions or anything like that at all, then that completely is contrary to the gospel. Right? We are all on level ground. Broken, bankrupt sinners in need of a Savior. All right? And so that's what Paul is saying here. And then he summarizes. Look, you don't have to obey the Torah to become children of God. If you're united to Christ, you are part of the covenant people of God. You are an heir according to the promise. You receive the blessings of Abraham by faith. Amazing final. I mean, Paul's just a great arguer. Okay. And then in chapter four, he's kind of going to go off on this. This he's going to repeat some of what he said, but he's kind of going to go off on this little exciting rant where he talks about the blessings that come through our union with Christ. So earlier I talked about um, Shannon and I getting married and all the all the things that she received by by marrying me. And let me just say I, I won in that deal. Okay. I know I was emphasizing that when I was telling her that illustration yesterday. She's like so. Let me get that straight. You're Jesus. And uh, she's like, I don't know. And she's like, but you can use it. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, I definitely got a lot, okay, um, by marrying her. But the illustration works to show you the blessings that come when we're united to Christ, okay? So now we're going to see, well, what are those blessings? Okay, if we're united to Christ, what exactly are the blessings? And Paul's going to give us three um, in these first seven verses. Um, and so the, the message today really is children of God. So you're like, the mess? Are you just now starting? Yeah, that was all introduction. It was all free, okay? <laughs> Don't worry, though. I'm watching the clock. All right. So what do we receive through our union with Christ? Right? Tyler's like, get a bigger clock, okay? Um, what, what exactly are the blessings that we get from being united to Christ? Well, number one, Paul's going to argue that we receive new status. We receive new status. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So, so what is Paul saying here? What he's saying is we, we were in bondage. We were slaves, but now we receive a new status as children of God. Okay, and so in Paul's day, um, an heir was too young to receive the inheritance. And he was basically in the same position as a slave in legal terms. Okay, and similarly today, if a rich, a rich person dies and leaves a large inheritance to their children, if they're too young to even know what to do with that, there's normally like tutors or, or someone to walk along and help them until they get to the age where they can responsibly receive that inheritance. That's what Paul is arguing here. So he's using that analogy to explain the position of the Jews under the old covenant. He's saying they were basically um, under bondage by the law uh, until Christ could come. Now, it was by faith. They could be saved by faith. Um, but that law was, was keeping them um, in check as a schoolmaster, okay? But just, as the right, just at the right time, 
It says that God sent his son into the world. Isn't that awesome? Right? Okay, the clock and now Christ comes. Like right on time. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but just know that God's timing is perfect. And there's so many times in my life where, where I've been like, why won't he answer this request? Like, I need this right now. But when he does answer it, looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I look back and I'm like, that was perfect. If he had done it earlier than that, it, it wouldn't have worked. God's timing is always perfect. And, and I actually wrote an entire paper on this verse for my master's degree. Um, and so I really want to tell you all the, all the reasons it was the right time, but uh, we don't have time. So we got to keep going. Um, but he was born of a woman. He was born under the law. Okay, so he was born under the Old Testament covenant law, and he fulfilled it perfectly as a Jew, unlike the rest of them. He paid for our sins. He purchased us with his precious blood so that we could receive all the rights and privileges of sons. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying under the old covenant, um, they were like this child who needed tutors and governors to keep them in check. But now we're children of God. We receive a new status. Children of God. Okay, I want to read this quote to you by Michael Reeves. He says, when Paul writes that we have received the adoption as sons of God, he isn't imagining that we are given the status of being okay, sort of acceptable to God. (laughs) It's not what he's saying. We are given the matchless status of the perfect and utterly beloved son. Never to be forgotten. Never to be dis- disowned. Never to be unloved. Christian, you, have no, you could have no better standing than you have right now with the Almighty God. We're children. We're sons. We're not just sort of okay, right? I use the illustration all the time, but, but if you have a child and they're learning how to walk, and they get up, and they start to kind of take their first steps. What do you do? You're, you're clapping, you're cheering, you're getting the family in there. Right when the family comes in, they fall. But you're trying to get them to see it, right? Uh, maybe getting your phone out, live Facebook video. Like, my kid's walking, right? And when they fall, you don't just be like, oh, what are you doing, kid? Right? You don't, like, smack them upside the I can't believe that you don't know how to walk. No, you're patient with them. You're loving. Why? Because they're your child. You're excited to see those steps. And so often, we look at our lives as Christians, like, at the moment we mess up, man. God's got a club and he's just ready to whack us over the head. That's just not the reality of scripture. We're his children. He loves us. And yes, he'll discipline us when we need it. But it's because he loves us. And so you've got to get that in your head today. That God loves you like he loves his only son, Jesus. You're united to Christ by faith. You have that matchless standing before God. Never to be forgotten. Never to be disowned. Never to be unloved. You are children of God. You have a new status now. A new identity as sons and daughters of God. So what does this bring for us? This brings unmatched love. We talked about it last week. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Acceptance. We don't need to look for acceptance anywhere else. We have it from God. Security. Man, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I used to argue with my friends on, on, on the playground and say, my dad could beat up your dad, right? Um, until I watched a movie with my dad about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, okay, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger could probably beat up my dad. But besides that, my dad's the strongest man in the world, right? Um, but that was, just, that was just the thought, right? Your, your dad, is, you're, he's strong, he's secure. And, and, and think about the, the God that we just sang about. Behold our God, that's your father, How could you be more secure than that? If God be for us, who can be against us? How about peace? Man, peace. 
We get a peace in this life because God is our Father. Nothing bad um, that happens to us is outside of His loving hands. That's amazing for me. Comfort, confidence. Man, so many of us are so insecure. Right? I mean, we, won't, we won't, may not admit it, but we're all insecure. Constantly looking for the approval of others. And yet we have the approval of God. We have confidence. Why, why would we look anywhere else? We have his approval. It's amazing. Joy. Man, the joy that comes from knowing that he's my father. I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I was on the way to breakfast club. that We do at North Huron on Fridays. And, and, I, and I saw this sunset. And I started to pray, and I was praying through the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And I just stopped there, and I said, I can't believe that the God who put this beautiful sunrise right here in the clouds for me to see is my Father. That's my Father. It's amazing. We have a new status now. So that's what Paul wants these Galatians to understand. Hey, why would you go back to being a servant under the law? You're a son. You're a child of God. You have a brand new status, a brand new identity. And then you kind of see these blessings build off one another. So if you're in Christ, then you have a new status um, as a child of God. If you're a child, then that brings you to the next one. We receive new power. We receive the Holy Spirit in verse 6. Verse 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that was verse 5. It talks about the privileges we got. Verse 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So not only do we receive this new status as children of God, flowing out of that new status as his child, he says, because you're sons, because you're children, you also receive the spirit. The spirit of the indwelling risen Christ within us to empower us. That is mind-boggling to think about. Um, I... (laughs) I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because Josh and Kat um, this past week were on a plane. So I'm like, hey, let's use the plane illustration again. Um, but, but last week, um, they got on a plane on Wednesday to come back to Michigan and actually got delayed. And they didn't, didn't get here until like 3 a.m. Um, it was pretty bad. But anyways, when they stepped into that plane, everything about them changed. Okay, so Josh can jump pretty high. Um, but last Wednesday, he was 30 to 40,000 feet in the air. Pretty good, okay? Um, Josh could run pretty fast. Um, if he was here, I would say I could beat him. I think, I think he went to the bathroom or something. But um, anyways, uh, he could run pretty fast. But on Wednesday, he was going like 500 miles per hour, just steady, right? Not losing breath, just going, okay? Josh is uh, pretty strong. But on Wednesday, he had the strength of 800,000 pounds of pure steel. Okay, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is when they stepped into that plane, everything about them changed. They had new power, they had new abilities, they had a new perspective. Everything about them changed. When you stepped into Jesus Christ by faith, everything about you changed. You have a brand new power, you have a new perspective, you have a new way of living this life. Transformed. We have the Spirit indwelling us, enabling us to live this life. We have unmatched power, strength, and energy to live this life. So, so the obvious question is, why in the world do so many of us try to live this in our own strength? We have the spirit of the indwelling Christ within us. That's why we talked about this last week. We, we live this life by faith. We, we live it by faith. We, when, when we're about to do anything, we, we pray, we, <clears throat> we ask for his help, we believe in his promises, and we act in his strength. 
and yield to his power all throughout it. It's really a simple thing. It's, it's hard um, to do. It's simple to understand, hard to do. But, but when you understand this, man, we have this unmatched power. Why do I try to be a husband in my own strength? Why, why, why do we try to parent our kids in our own strength? Why do we try to do our jobs in our own strength? We have the Spirit indwelling us. And, and notice that one of the benefits that comes through this indwelling Spirit is that we can cry out to God as Abba, Father. I've talked about this before, but Abba is the Aramaic word used by Jewish children to address their fathers. Okay? Um, some have argued that it's similar to daddy. Um, it may be closer to like a papa. Um, it's important to understand it's not um, irreverent at all, but it is very, very intimate. And I love how William McDonald puts it. He says, while we may hesitate to use such familiar English words in addressing God, the truth remains that he who is infinitely high is also intimately nigh. The God of the universe who created all of this, who was just, we should fall on our face and in awe and wonder and fear before his power and might is also our father. And we cry out to him, Abba, Father. There's an intimacy there. That's, that's the intimacy we have with, with God, the creator. Okay, and, and the inward testimony of the spirit confirms us in our hearts that we are his children. It's an amazing reality. So if you're in Christ, you have a new status, okay? You're his child. You're beloved. That can't change. Not only do you have a new status, you have new power. You have the indwelling spirit within you, enabling you to live this life. And then Paul's going to bring one more benefit. He's going to say, we also receive new hope. Why? Because we have an inheritance in verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's, that's paralleling to Romans 8, where it says, if children, then heirs. And I talk about, like, if that doesn't just blow your mind, then let me try to help that happen, okay? Let me just explain, what does it mean to be an heir of God? To, that means, and I've talked about this before, that means that the infinite, all-powerful creator God of the universe, okay, who never runs out of resources, because he can just create more, Okay, this God, the self-sustaining, all-powerful, amazing, eternal, infinite God is your father, which means as his child, you have an inheritance coming from him. Talk about wealthy. Like this, that's our father. So we have an inheritance coming. That's what Paul's saying. If you're a child, then you're an heir of God through Christ. You're receiving an inheritance from him. Well, what is that inheritance? We can um, go all throughout the scriptures and see different parts of our inheritance. One thing is that we inherit salvation and eternal life. Yes, we receive it now by faith, but there's a, there's a greater reality where this salvation is going to come into its fullness and we're going to be made like him and we're going to be in his presence for all eternity. We also inherit a renewed creation, a new heavens and a new earth and everything in it. You know, I, I say this all the time, but some of you are a little bit newer. And so if, if you have this idea um, that the heaven is like floating in clouds, like angels with harps and stuff, that's, that's Hollywood. That's not the Bible. The Bible says there's going to be a new earth. So like everything you love about this earth, this earth is like the broken down version, right? When we see what's happening with what's coming, the Bible says that the heavens are going to come down to this new earth and we're going to dwell on this new earth for all eternity. That's part of our inheritance. Right? The entire earth. Not only that, we'll inherit glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. 
The older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that. And some of you are like, you don't even know, right? Right? You're like, I hurt myself sleeping last night. I don't even know how it happened, right? Okay? But the, but the older we get, the more like, man, to think, we're going to get brand new bodies. They never get sick. They never get tired. They never wear out. They never die. There's no disease. There's no pain. That's part of your inheritance. This past week, I, don't, I had this weird like carpal tunnel coming when I was trying to type my sermon and it was like numbing my whole arm. And so I'm like Googling it, trying to figure out how do I get rid of this. And, and, and I was writing this sermon and I was like, man, can't wait to receive the new body <laughs> right? where, I, where I can serve God without any pain or, or any limitations from this body. It's, it's just amazing to think about. Not only um, will we have brand new bodies, but we'll also um, receive the most important part of our inheritance, which is the presence of God forever. And I've preached a message on this before, but listen, if, if we got new bodies and if we got eternal life and if we got perfect minds and, and if we got a brand new uh, uh, creation and we got all that stuff, but we didn't get God, it wouldn't satisfy The most amazing part of this inheritance for us as children of God is that we get God. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Give me all the stuff we just talked about and don't give me God and it's worthless. But listen, we get all that stuff and we also get God. We get to see him like he is. We get to dwell in his presence for all eternity. I just cannot wait for that moment. J.I. Packer puts it this way. What will make heaven to be heaven is the presence of Jesus and of a reconciled divine father who loves us for Jesus' sake no less than he loves Jesus himself. To see and know and love and be loved by the father and the son in company with the rest of God's vast family This is the whole essence of the Christian hope. And if you are a believer, this prospect satisfies you completely. To see God, no more wrestling in prayer, just seeing him, bowing down before him, gathering with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and and praising him before his throne. We've never even come close to even a glimpse of the glory that we're going to see. It's going to be absolutely mind-blowing. And so Paul says, not only do you receive a new status as child of God, you receive a new power, the Holy Spirit indwells you, but you also receive a new hope. So stop thinking about things of earth. Get your mind on things of heaven. Think about your inheritance. Think about your new body. Think about the new earth. Think about the presence of a reconciled father that you can be with for all eternity and enjoy. That's what he's arguing here. He's saying, so you want to go back to the law? (laughs) Why would you do that? You're free. You're a child of God. That's, that's what his argument is here. Now, for us, we may be wondering, well, we don't struggle with that, right? We're not tempted to go to the Mosaic Law. We were never under it. So how does this apply to us? Well, listen, we may not be tempted to go back to the Mosaic Law. But if you go through the points that we looked at today, I think you can see that, that we do struggle with, first of all, trying to earn our own status. Trying to measure up in our own strength. Trying to, trying to get a certain sort of status in the, in, the, in the place we work, maybe in our home, maybe in our neighborhoods. Right? We, we, we want to make our own status. We've received it. Why would we do that? Why would we try to measure up in our own strength? We've received the status of child of God. 
That's your identity. You wake up tomorrow and you're a child of God. Let that reality hit you. Not only that, we, we try to do things in our own power, don't we? Well, we're not going back to the Mosaic Law, but we're definitely trying to, trying to be in our marriage, in our parenting, in our workplaces, in our jobs, in our neighbors. We're trying to do it all in our own strength. Why would we do that? We're just as foolish as the Galatians, going back to the law. You have the presence of the indwelling, risen Christ within you. Why would you try it in your own strength? And that last point, so often we put our hope in the wrong things, don't we? I say this all the time, but if you put your contentment in your bank account, good luck. That's going to change. You put it in your job, that could fall flat. You put it in, in your body. Some of you already experienced this. Your body's not going to hold up. Right? You can Botox the mess out of your face, but it's still going to fall off. Right? You can drink all the health shakes you want, but you're going to get old and you're going to die. And you say, well, that's morbid. No, it's, it's reality. So don't put your hope there. Or if you put your hope in a relationship, you say, that's more noble. Guess what? That relationship's going to let you down at times. I say this all the time, but Shannon and I very early in our relationship said we don't look to each other for satisfaction. We look to Christ. That's where our satisfaction is found. If you put your hope in any of the things on this earth, you're going to be let down. And so we put our hope in Christ alone, by faith alone. And it changes the way we live this life. And so what, what Paul, I think, is trying to argue here is that Galatian Christians, you're children of God. You've been set free. You're no longer slaves. Why would you go back to that? And the same is true for us. Why would we go back to trying to earn our own status, to try to live in our own power and try to put our hope in, in stupid things? Instead, live in the freedom of being God's child. That's the point I want you to walk away with. Live in that reality. Live in that freedom. Listen, the God of the universe delights in you. Not a future version of you. Not when you get your act together. He delights in you now as his child. Live in that freedom. I've given the illustration before, but if you were to get a phone call tomorrow that you um, had a billionaire uncle that you didn't know about, and he actually owned the entire state of Michigan, and, and uh, he said, yeah, just come on up to the estate, and, and I'm going to sign over the documents to you. You're going to own the whole state of Michigan, and, and billions and billions of dollars, so you can build theme parks. Do whatever you want with it, right? And let's say you're driving there. You're all amped up to get your inheritance. You're all excited, and like a mile out, you get a flat tire. You call AAA. Nobody's picking up, and so you've got to walk that final mile. How foolish would it be for you to gripe and moan and complain the entire remainder of the mile? You're about to receive the entire state of Michigan with billions of dollars and you're whining about a, a, a flat tire? But isn't that so often how we live this life? We just talked about our inheritance as God's children. Why do we let things on this earth upset us so much? I, I did this morning with something, with my computer. It was, it was acting up a little bit. And I'm like, hold on, apply the message that you're about to preach. You're God's child. Like, let that shape your perspective. When you wake up tomorrow, when you don't wake up tomorrow because the alarm didn't go off and you're late for work, keep things in perspective. When everything goes wrong this week, keep things in perspective. You're a child of God. Live in that freedom. Live in that reality. The God of the universe delights in you as his child. So live in the freedom of being God's child. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just really unpack just a few benefits of what it means to be united to your son Jesus by faith. 
that we're your children, that we receive your spirit, and that we have an inheritance coming for us. Lord, I just ask that we would live in that freedom. We wouldn't go back to the works of the law or the works of the flesh. God, empower us to live this life. Lord, I ask if there's anyone here who's never trusted you, that they would right now. They'd call out in faith and trust your Savior, Jesus Christ, to save them from their sins. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.